Good afternoon, family. My name is Justin Lopez. I serve as one of the pastors and elders here at the Austin Stone. I also serve as the director of For the City, which, as an aside, is a nonprofit that we started here at the Austin Stone back in 2009. I've been coming here with my family since 2005, if you can believe that. Um, but we started For the City in 2009 in response to our leadership and our elders desiring to be a church that's obedient to Scripture and that advocates for the city. Get it? For the city network. So we exist to connect the church with the broken and the blighted and the dark parts of our city, with the, the orphan and the widow, the alien, the oppressed, those that are in dark places. We have relationships with hundreds of nonprofits in the city and opportunities to serve in those nonprofits, giving us avenues as the body of Christ to serve in both word and deed um, in the margins of our city. And so all of that used to live on forthecity.org, but we've, we've recently transitioned all of that to be on the church's websites, and that's because we believe wholeheartedly that God's institution for encouraging and shepherding and, and pointing people into the margins of the city is actually the church. It's not for the city. It's not a nonprofit. So we wanted even our web stuff to reflect that. And if you want any information about For the City and, and kind of the transitions we've gone through or what we're all about, you can always find that at forthecity.org. Back to this evening. If you're uh, here for the first time at the Austin Stone, normally we preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. And so the book that we are currently in towards the beginning of is First Peter. And we're taking a two-week break. This is the second week of that two-week break where we're doing a little mini-series on reconciliation. And last week, we got to hear about what God's reconciliation of us looks like. What does it mean for people who were once at odds with God to now be reconciled to him? All right? And so if you missed that one, it was great. You should go online and watch that or listen to it this week. And then today, we're, we're going to talk about is the implications of now being ambassadors of that reconciliation. We're going to be in the same passage in, in 2 Corinthians 5, and we're going to be digging into three implications for being ambassadors of reconciliation. Those three implications, and then we'll dig into them, are one, that we should be initiators. We can't sit back. We need to initiate. Number two, we need to be forgiving even when it's a challenge. And number three, that we need to love even when there are enemies. Let's dive into the scripture. Turn there in your Bibles or it'll be behind me on the screen as always. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So first, we should define what the word ambassadors mean. What does it mean to be an ambassador? So an ambassador is anybody that is representing or a messenger of a message, right? Representing a message to another person. So for example, the U.S. ambassador to China is a representative of the United States taking the messages of the United States to China, 
All right, so what message is it that we've been entrusted with as ambassadors? Verse 19 tells us it's this message of God's reconciliation of his people. It's the gospel. So this passage isn't talking about our reconciliation between each other. That's important, and that's kind of a a result of of what we're going to be talking about today. But it's not the point of the passage. The point of this passage is for us to be ambassadors, to be representatives of the actual reconciliation that God did between us and him. Important nuance. So the first implication that we're going to talk about is this idea of initiating, overcoming barriers and initiating. Here's what we're going to look at. Matthew 20, 28. It says, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus even didn't sit back, right? He initiated. So let's look at his example in John 4, woman at the well. So Jesus is is on this long trip. He's walking because it's Old Testament. I mean, it's transitioning to the New Testament, right? So he's he's walking a long distance. And so he's sitting at the well because he's thirsty. And he asks the Samaritan for some water because he's thirsty. And so the Samaritan woman is confused why, she's even, why Jesus is even talking to her because she's a Samaritan woman and Jews and Samaritans didn't speak to each other. She acknowledges that. I won't get into that history, but that's a barrier. And then Jesus says, well, I have living water. Would you like living water so you'll never thirst again? And she's like, yeah, of course, that'd be amazing. I don't have to come down to this well all the time. And so Jesus says, well, come down, bring your, bring your husband with you, and we'll talk about living water. It'll be great. And she says that she doesn't have a husband. And Jesus confirms that by saying that she's had five husbands and that the person that, he's, that she's with now is not her husband. And so he continues to have this conversation, but what he ends up doing is providing this message of reconciliation that the gospel is not just for Jews, it's for sinners, it's for Samaritan adulterers even. So the gospel is available to her and her people. And then later on it says in the passage that many more believed because of his word. He brought the message of reconciliation to the woman. So what we see, though, is that there were a lot of barriers, potential barriers between Jesus and this woman, right? There was religion. He's Jewish. She's Samaritan. We already know they don't speak to each other. That's a barrier. There's the barrier of um, ethnicity, Right? He's from Galilee, she's from Samaria. There's gender, he's a man, she's a woman. And then there's morality, he's perfect, he's God, and she is not. Right? And so even though barriers existed, and even though Jesus is the only person in the history of the world, in the universe, that has the right to say, no, why don't you serve me? You're the one that, that needs the help I'm the only one that doesn't need help. You go ahead and serve me or come to me and initiate to me because I don't really need to be bothered by that. Instead, he came to serve rather than to be served. So if the only person in the world, in the history of the world, the history of the universe, instead decided to initiate and to serve us and to serve this woman, what example does that give us? We should be initiators. So what are the barriers that keep you from initiating with people? There's the actual physical barriers like fence lines and apartment walls and, you know, that person's across campus um, or I never really see that person. Um, there's personality differences. You know, they're just annoying people. That's a barrier sometimes. 
There's morality barriers, right? They're sinful. They do that particular kind of sin. Then I don't really, I don't like to interact with those kinds of people. Maybe it's political differences. They watch different news channels than you, so you just kind of discredit whatever they say. That's a barrier. Maybe it's their sexuality. Lots of barriers exist, but what we see that Jesus did, right, was that even though she was a Samaritan, he, he initiated, he stepped in and initiated that conversation with her, providing the message of reconciliation. Even though she was this sinner and this impure woman, he initiated with her and provided the message of reconciliation. They believed and acted very differently from one another, yet he initiated. And so if Jesus initiated, and Jesus took those steps to pass those barriers, to overcome those barriers, to go through those barriers, who is it that you need to initiate with? It's not a rhetorical question. Who is it in your mind and in your heart and this conviction that you should be initiating with, that there's some barrier between you and this other person? This isn't something that is just for one person in here, right? This is for all of us. And if, if we are now sons and daughters of God, if we're actually adopted into his family, if we're actually being conformed into his spirit, into his image, then this isn't just a verse about what we ought to be doing. If we really are taking on characteristics of our father, then it's not just stuff that we ought to be doing. It's actually part of who we are now. And that makes a difference, right? This isn't just a, an impulse or a, you know, a, a thing that we're instructed to do. It's actually part of who we are because it's part of who Christ is. But now we are released from the law. This is Romans 7, 6. You don't have to turn there. Having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in a new way of the spirit and not the old way of the written code. We can't sit back. We have to be willing because Jesus was willing, because Jesus did overcome barriers for you and I. We have to be willing to overcome barriers for other people. And you know, the, as, I'm, as I was thinking through all the different types of barriers that existed, one of the most challenging barriers for me to overcome in, in working with other people and trying to, to demonstrate and declare the gospel with people is when they've wronged me. Right? So especially if someone has significantly wronged me, it's even harder for me to actually initiate and to actually take that step to overcome barriers that exist. My, my family and I, we've been living in the St. John neighborhood just across the highway from the St. John campus up in North Austin um, for about six years. And when we first moved in, my parents owned the house next door, and they wanted to use that house for ministry. They wanted to use it to, to try to house people that might otherwise not be able to afford to live in a house, especially families with kids. They, they wanted to make sure that if they had kids, they had a place to stay. Okay, so I, I, I became friends with, with a, a gentleman over at the center, at the For the City Center, and, and we, we started to hang out a lot. Like, we... We would watch the Super Bowl together, and we would do yard work together, and we would eat a lot of meals together, and we ended up having Thanksgiving with them, Christmas morning with them, and they became the family that moved in next door. And so for us, it was a way to, to deepen the relationship and see people every day, right? Proximity um, helps with community. 
And so we, through our relationships with For the City and the nonprofits that we know and the, the people that I know um, through the work that I do, got to, to connect them with access to things like clothes and things like home furnishings and jobs and, and friendships, because these were our friends now, so we could connect them to our friends. And so long story short, um, or shorter, this family, you know, the patterns start to evolve. So they stop showing up for work. <clears throat> the husband abuses the wife and then runs away, eventually gets arrested for, for what he did to the wife. The wife, my mom, um, not the same person, right? My mom initiates with this woman, right? So she, she very intentionally and very um, servant-heartedly is initiating and spending time with this woman, trying to help her through this big trial that this woman is going through, right? But every step of the way, as she's trying to help and trying to speak to this woman, she's getting cussed at. The way this woman is responding to any sort of help is way over the top and frustrated and, you know, profanity-laden to my mom, who's like the sweetest lady. And so... Finally, my, my parents and, and I agreed that, you know, it's, if this isn't working out for this family anymore, they should, they should move on, right? This isn't something we're forcing them to do. Like, let's, let's talk about what's next for them so that they don't feel trapped or, or whatever it is that's causing all of this pain for them and causing these kinds of reactions. And so the, the, the mom agrees, not my mom, the mom agrees that it's time for them to move on, okay? So my dad and I arranged for a U-Haul, to, to load their stuff up and to move her into her new place so that we can like do a good, clean handoff and, and be on good terms. So, you know, we come up with a time, she agrees on the time, and she doesn't show up multiple times. And so what my dad and I agree on is that we should set a time that she comes up with, and if she's not there, we'll just start loading her stuff, and when she gets there, it'll be ready to go, and we'll just take it to the new house. So the time comes, we start loading the stuff because she's not there, and it's like 90% full, this U-Haul. And she comes back. And we're like, great, this is perfect timing. It's almost done. We'll just move it on to the next place. And we find out that she's called the police. And she's accused us of stealing all of her stuff. All of the stuff that we had gotten donated to her. Into this house that she is yet to pay for because part of the whole deal was that she was going to get her feet under her so that she could start to pay more and more rent. And so there are laws that protect tenants from landlords that are trying to abuse them, right? And so this, this person, she knew those laws, and when we took her stuff out of the house and we put it into this U-Haul, that was us stealing her stuff, and the police officer was like, I, I feel like I know what's going on here. I feel like I'm understanding that you guys are trying to help, but here's the deal. She's got you. Like, I'm sitting here looking at all your stuff, all of her stuff in this trailer, and it she can make a case that you guys stole all of her stuff. And so after days of her accusing my parents and I of specific items that we had stolen and needing to bring in a lawyer that could come up with a contract that was a settlement to list all the items that were stolen and all of the values of those items and my parents writing a check and giving her money for the things that we had gotten donated in this house that they had been donated it was finally settled. 
I, I could understand it being hard to, to keep a job, right? If, 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 if you're not used to having a job, it's hard to start working on the regular basis, right? And I was definitely okay with the amount of time and money that it took for me to actually build this relationship and connect them with the resources. I would do that for any of my friends. So that was no, no problem. I did not like that she was cussing out my mom. That was starting to cross into the, well, I don't know about this. But if that's all you know, if that's how you were treated at home growing up for 20 years, okay, I can kind of get to a conclusion where that's all you know. So I can kind of get there. But you accuse my family of stealing everything that we got for you? That was madness. And so you know when you, you have those situations where you, you go over it in your head, like, what would I say if I saw him again? Like, what would I say? What would I do to her? That's where I was at. Every circumstance, I was like, oh, you know, I'll just, I'll just look up her address. We'll just have a conversation. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> I was... I felt rage for the first time. I thought I knew what rage was before this. I didn't. I knew what rage was at this point in my life. And I don't say all of this stuff to discourage you from putting yourself out there and from loving other people, to forgive people. It's actually the opposite of what we're talking about here. 2 Corinthians, verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. So, what this woman did to my family and to, and to me was a trespass, right? Everybody, I think we're all on the same page there. She trespassed against us. God, all of the believers' sins... He didn't count those trespasses against us. So if I'm not willing to forgive a trespass, like, like I was just describing to you, if I'm not willing to forgive that trespass, I must not understand the depth of the sin that Jesus carried and paid for on the cross. I must not. Because if I'm holding on to some stuff, but Jesus paid for all of that... That doesn't make any sense, right? Which one is off? I'm more off. So I, I texted my mom and dad to see if they were okay with me sharing this story. And my mom texted back pretty quickly. And she said, that should be interesting. She also sent some of her journal entries, some pictures of her journal entries from some of the roughest days, from those days. Here's an excerpt. Excerpt. My prayer is that through all of this, God's glory can shine forth. I pray for our friends' names. May God be with them and touch their hearts. She gets forgiveness. It took me a lot longer to get there. My dad's response was, I think that would be great if I shared the story with everybody. It's a reminder to me how to view the whole scenario in a different light versus just being angry and offended that Nani, which is what my kids call their grandma, was sinned against and how I trample on the cross every day. He understands the cost of the sin that Jesus paid for, so he's willing to offer that forgiveness to somebody else. As terrible and irrational as those sins were, those trespasses against us, as terrible and irrational as those were, the same is true about our sin. 
Jesus paid for terrible, irrational sin. And, and we still, think about this. As believers, we are freed from sin. We've inherited eternal life. What explanation is there for sin at all anymore in our lives? Yet we still struggle, right? So if we're still struggling now, that is what is irrational, yet he paid for that knowingly. Now for some of you, that whole scenario that I just described is like nothing. That's a cakewalk. Because someone has wronged you in some horrific way. Horrific way. And, and you're, you're thinking, there's no way I could understand what you've been through. And you might be right. But what I know is that if you aren't able to get to the point where you at least forgive it's going to just eat you up inside. This isn't saying that what was done to you wasn't awful. And it's not saying that what you experienced isn't a big deal. In fact, what we're saying is that on the cross, sin was such a big deal, we wronged God in such a big way that it took the death of the Son of God himself to pay for it. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. So since we've experienced the benefit of costly forgiveness, we can show others that benefit. We can do that. So who's wronged you? Not a rhetorical question. Who's wronged you that you need to show forgiveness to? And, and it's worth mentioning really quick what forgiveness isn't. So forgiveness isn't apathy. All right, so apathy is when something happens to you and you take it and you put it on the shelf and you ignore it, right? You just kind of try to callous over and act like it's not there. That's apathy. That's not what forgiveness is. Jesus took on our sin and paid for all of it on the cross. He wasn't able to ignore it. He chose not to ignore it, Right? It's also, it's not deferred adjudication. You ever got a speeding ticket, your second one in a year, and you check that second box where you're like, yeah, forgive me for that one. But the problem is, is that if you do it again, if you get another speeding ticket, now you're guilty for the new one and the old one. That's not forgiveness either. Forgiveness says that if I am forgiven for the first one, it's as if I never did it in the first place. So if it happens again, that's like the first time it's happened. And Jesus gets asked, how many times should I forgive like that? 70 times 7. How many times is that? He means every time, not a literal number. You forgive every time. And for those of you that swing the other way and think that forgiveness means having no boundaries and being okay with abuse or being okay with injustice, guys, it's not that either, okay? That's swinging the wrong direction. That's not forgiveness either. So, like Christ... We have to allow ourselves and be okay with allowing ourselves to feel the pain of the wrong that's against us. Jesus felt pain on the cross. Being crucified is a painful experience. But what Jesus did was he took that pain and he entrusted it to his father just like we can. 
just like we can. So if we've been wronged, it's not just, it's not, you know, saying that what happened was nothing. It's not putting it on the shelf and being apathetic about it. It's dealing with the pain and saying, God, this hurt me. That was wrong what they did. That hurt me. Will you please comfort me because I can't figure out how to comfort myself. That's what this means. So we initiate overcoming barriers. One of the most challenging barriers to overcome is when we've been wronged, so it's forgiveness. But the thing about forgiveness, like a lot of good things, is that by itself, it's not enough. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. I'm just going to summarize it. It says that if I speak eloquently, have prophetic powers, understand all mysteries and all knowledge, have all faith so as to remove mountains and give away all that I have, but have not love, I gain nothing. It's saying that even if you do some really good stuff, like give all your money to the poor, or you know, speak eloquently and preach like a prince. <laughs> That's a thing. <laughs> even if you forgive, right? Because forgiveness is good. Even if you forgive, but have not love, what good is it? It's not. You gain nothing. And so the third point, the third implication of being an ambassador is that we have to love. And that's not just people that are easy to love. Romans 5, 6 through 10. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies... I'll say that one more time. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So Jesus didn't just love people that were easy to love. We were called his enemies. His enemies. And he loved us anyway. There's a missionary story about as popular as missionary stories go about um, Jim Elliott and uh, Nate Saint and their missionary team in Ecuador in the 1950s. Their families all lived in Ecuador, and they were there to be ambassadors of the gospel. And so they would fly around in this prop plane and find villages that had not heard the gospel yet. So they stumble upon this, this tribe called the Warani tribe. And all they knew about this tribe was that they're an extremely violent group of people. So violent that it was, you know, there's stories and, and now there's interviews online with, with some of the tribesmen that their only way of resolving conflict in the tribe, so like a neighborly dispute kind of level conflict, was to spear one another. That's how they resolve conflict. Can you imagine that? Like your roommate and you are having a little bit of a dispute and you're like, get the spears out? They're, this was for real stuff. So these missionary men... They have to decide and, and ahead of time figure out what are we going to do? Are we going to enter into this? And if we are, how are we going to handle it? If things go sideways, what are we going to do? These missionary men, they have guns. So they're like, we could protect ourselves. They're considering those options. But here's what they decide. 
If the Warani tribe decides to try to kill them, they decided that they were willing to die. And here's what they said as to why. Because we're ready to die, and they're not. We know as missionaries, as believers in Christ, that if we die, we're going home. So worst case scenario, we're going to heaven. Worst case scenario for them, if we retaliate or protect ourselves, it's not good for them. They're not ready to die. So they decide that they're going to concede. They, they hit the beach. They land. They meet some of the tribesmen. It's going well. There's actually footage and, and pictures online of, of that first interaction. And then one of the tribesmen assumes some ill will, and they kill all five of these men. They kill all five of them with the spears. And what do the spouses and the kids do? They spend the next couple of years learning the Warani language so they can move into the same village with the same people who killed their husbands and fathers. Here's what Jim's wife Elizabeth Elliot had to say. The prayers of the widows themselves are for the Warani people. We look forward to the day when they will join us in Christian praise. That sounds like lunacy to the world, right? So get this one. So 10 years after the men are killed, 10 years later, the son of Nate Saint, Steve Saint, is baptized in the village by one of the tribesmen who killed his dad. You know who normally baptizes people, so you may or may not know. So when someone gets baptized, normally they're baptized by someone who has led them in the faith in some way. Some kind of spiritual mentor or spiritual father or spiritual mother. That's who usually does the baptizing. And so what is happening here is that Steve Saint was baptized and calling a spiritual father of some sort the same man who killed his father. That can only happen in the gospel. That's craziness to the world. That's craziness. Here's the point. A couple of points. We have to go in counting the cost. We have to know that if we're going to overcome barriers and if we're going to be the ones initiating, if we're going to be the ones forgiving and loving people, then there's going to be times when we're misunderstood. There's going to be times when people think we're stupid, that we're fools, or they hate us, right? And for these men, for these missionaries, they knew and trusted so deeply and believed wholeheartedly that Jesus was stabbed on the cross for them they were willing to be stabbed by these Warani men for their sake. That's next level. And then their families, everyone would have understood if they never set foot in the jungle. They were like, okay, yeah, our husbands all got killed, so we're going to go home. That would have been fine. Why did they do this? Here's a different question. What good is it for it to be said of you that, man, you did a really good job of protecting and loving your family and your friends. Like, that would be good. That'd be a good thing to be said about you. But that's even what the world wants, right? Even the world wants it to be said that they loved and protected their loved ones really well, right? So Romans 5, 7, we just read this. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. I would die for my family, but only God's people would die for their enemies. 
But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Only God's children, like Steve's saint, can look at the man who killed his dad and call him dad. Only God's people can do that. We can't only love those who are easy to love. Because if, if that was God's math, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be saved. So just a few points and then, then we're all done. Number one, we were far off. We had so many barriers. Our sin that was created between us and the Lord. And he came. He came close to us. He came to the manger. His incarnation, he initiated with us despite all of those barriers that existed between us and him. So we can too. It's part of who we are now is to overcome these barriers. Secondly, nails pierced him to the cross. He's got a crown of thorns on his head. He's got a spear in his side. All of those things were because of our sin. So the consequences of our sin. And he counted all those things up and said, yeah, that's worth it. All those trespasses, he said, I'm going to forget all that stuff. I'm going to pay for all of it. He forgave us so we can forgive. And the third, it's not something we were good at. We weren't good people. We didn't earn anything except eternal consequences for our sin. And so despite us being his enemies, he entered in with us and loved us and cared for us and saved us and reconciled us. So who is it, who is it that you as believers need to overcome barriers with and to love? Who is it? Think about it. Who makes your blood boil? Who makes your skin crawl? Those are two good indicators for me. Those are people that I need to grow in my love for. Who lives next door to you? Who do you see at class every day? Every day. You need to overcome the barriers. God reconciled us to himself through Jesus making us ambassadors, making us representatives and messengers of the gospel. We're going to take that message to other places, right? And the place that he wants us to take that message is in our neighborhoods. It's in our classrooms. It's on our campus. It's in our workplace. It's across the globe, around the world, right? Maybe it's somewhere you have never even thought about. There's some barriers there. Maybe it's in the cracks of our city here. Maybe it's in the dark places here in our city. But the point is, we are now ambassadors. So let's go share this message. Let's represent Christ's message in all of those places until he comes back. Let's do it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mercy and your grace on us that despite all of our sin and despite all of the reasons why it would have been totally reasonable for you to stay on your throne, totally reasonable, 
no one could have possibly accused you of not loving because we deserved, we deserved damnation. We deserved consequences. Yet you overcame those things. And God, thank you for the freedom that you overcoming those things gives us as believers. God, I want to pray that that freedom is what drives us to obedience here. That it's that freedom that helps us to breathe when things feel too overwhelming to to consider. When we've done something, maybe during spring break, that was so bad in our minds that surely you can't love us. My God, you already called us your enemies. You already knew. You already knew. Yet you came. You died and you you knew all of it. You paid for all of it. Thank you, Jesus. Helps to sacrifice our lives, lay down our preferences the way you did, Jesus. In your name, amen.